Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome back, Awareness Explorers. It's great to have you again. And I am with my trusty co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And we're very honored and excited to have Susanna Marie with us, a spiritual teacher and truly wonderful human being that I've talked to before. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things, uh, partly her experience of no self. But let me first say how I got to know Susanna Marie, because it's an interesting story. I was talking to Rick Archer of Buddha at the Gas Pump. I asked him, who have been some of your favorite guests? And he said, without hesitation, well, somebody I really, really liked was Susanna Marie. And I said, no, I haven't heard of her. And he said, well, I think she actually lives in the same town you live in. <laughs> so I contacted her and because anytime you spend talking to people who have an awakening experience, I think that's good for you. So we met and I think we talked for two or three hours. Uh, and Susanna Marie, you were very generous with your time and I really enjoyed our conversation. So when I was thinking of who I'd like to talk to about the experience of no self, you were very high on the list. So <laughs> welcome to Awareness Explorers. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with both of you. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. Well, you know, we mostly follow our curiosities. So uh, the general topic might be one of no self and how your transition came to that. Um, but feel free to also say anything that you think might be useful to our listeners who are basically trying to awaken and integrate awakening experiences into daily life. Um, sure. But I want to let you begin, Brian, because uh, Suzanne Marie and I have talked some and, and you're new to this wonderful being. So what, uh, what comes up for you? <laughs> well, well, thank you. Uh, you know, when I was looking at your website and I was reading several of the articles in there, particularly one called The Dissolving of Self, <clears throat> and another one called Unbounded Freedom. And they really um, went to one of my main curiosities, which is, what is the separate self? Is it an illusion? And if so, how do we see through this illusion? And so I'm very curious uh, about that from all different angles, including your experience of it and, um, and how others might... Um, might see through this illusion. So first of all, is the separate self an illusion? And how so? Well, language creates a lot of um, meaning. Yes. And definition, as you know. So if we didn't have that, the, the language of separate self, how would we be defining an aspect of ourself that... Um, maybe feels out of sync. Maybe we'd have different ways of relating to it. Hmm. Maybe we'd say um, feeling disconnected. 
um, feeling, um, well, yeah, disconnected from the whole. Um, some pain, maybe he's feeling some pain, mm-hmm. some suffering, rather than creating a, uh, an enti- a feeling of as if there's an entity that is the separate self. And, and now there's the separate self, and now like when we start to develop spiritually and at times we feel the, for instance, the inner unification and the, the feeling of separate self falls away. And then maybe that feeling reemerges. We would maybe use different kinds of words. So it's not that the word is bad or anything like that. It's just that when we start to create more of a, we create more separation out of uh, solidifying the idea of a separate self. Does that does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so. In other words, by talking about it that way, we create a concept of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And therefore, it is separate from other things, and, and we are separate from each other. In that yeah, way. Very, very, very true. That's mm-hmm. how it is. And then we start to have a relationship, positive and negative, with that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And that we maybe, created through language. Through language, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we created it through language. And since we live mostly, especially in Western culture, in our head, uh, the language that we create becomes kind of our reality after a time. We're not looking at the actuality Mm -hmm. in the moment. We're just relating to concepts. That's true. And we relate to ourselves as a concept, as you know. Mm. And see ourselves as an object within the world. I had a very interesting experience this last week. I was at a meditation retreat. Mm. And at some point during the meditation retreat, you know, you have breaks, you meditate for a few hours. And after one of the meditations, um, the best way I could describe it is I had no sense of self, which is an unusual experience for me. Mm. And I, I realized something was different, so I was trying to understand what was different. And um, I like thought, tried to think about my past. And it was almost like painful. I couldn't go there. Mm. You know, it just seemed like my mind wouldn't go there and I couldn't go into the future. I was just there. <laughs> and then somebody came up to me and started talking to me. Mm. And I'm like appreciating how wonderful a being this is. I'm just there with her. And at some point in the conversation, I realized she was talking about my books and how they had impacted her life. And she was telling me, and I started laughing because she thought she was talking to the author of these books. And I had no relationship to that person (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) So I just started giggling. And, um, and it struck me as ludicrous that she saw a connection where I didn't. And I'm wondering, for you, what's it like? I know that at one time, you've been a spiritual seeker for a long time. And at one time, you went into what you called unity consciousness. And then that changed to what might be called no self. And I'm wondering um, how, how you would describe your experience as different than, you know, 30 years ago, maybe when you had a very 
you're living like you were a self. How would you describe that transition or the difference between those two experiences? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, first of all, yes, there was a feeling of self, but it never really, it never felt completely true. It always sort of had a, an off feeling and um, I was aware at a young age that it wasn't, there was something that was off and didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have the non-dual language, like it didn't feel true, you know, but it didn't feel right. And I, it was kind of like what I was describing in the, with Brian about, um, without the, without the language, without definition of separate self, we just have different kind of maybe feeling, feeling words, you know, it feels, something feels off, you know, I don't feel completely at ease, you know. So mm -hmm. that was, a, that had been uh, part of my teenage years and uh, early, very early adulthood. And then I, um, it led me to, to, to seek the, the wholeness that, that I would drop into now and then. I mean, the only way we know we're feeling off and not feeling, you know, the seamlessness of reality, which is our natural state, is by having known it at some point, you have to have a reference point. Otherwise, what are you seeking? You're, you, you're only seeking something that you already know. Yeah. Or else you wouldn't know to seek. It just would be, you know, the, the state, the, the current state. So, um, now I'm thinking I'm forgetting that question of yours. <laughs> but what was it again? <laughs> well, I'm basically asking how, how would you say your experience has changed over time and what is it like from your perspective to not have a sense of self and live your life? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I was going backwards in order to be able just to, for those who haven't heard any of my other interviews mm -hmm. about my, my earlier life, um, that I, I wasn't solidified in, a, in the separate self. Mm -hmm. It just never wanted to take. And so I started early, you know, to, to want to undo and come back to what we, many of us call the natural state. Mm -hmm. So there was a sense of unity. There was a sense of knowing what unity is because there had been a kind of a flow of, of going in and out of it throughout my childhood and early adulthood and so when i would leave that seamless field of awareness and come back to feeling the dissonance of the separate self it would hurt mm -hmm. so so that's what i was trying to point to that I, that created a seeker to want to return home i think that's mm -hmm. the best use of, of a seeker a seeker is a wonderful thing when used in a um, constructive way yeah, it takes you back home. So um, I did all kinds of things, you know, and to meditation and yoga and all kinds of things. And um, unity eventually solidified. So the sense of seamlessness, that you know, we have different types of awakenings along the way. There's not just one. But so unity solidified. And um, 
with unity, there is the sense of, of, of um, non-separation. So you can still differentiate and still be able to sense um, what's yours and what's theirs and, you know, and here and there and objects and all that stuff. Um, but there's a there's a field that where you feel that the connect the 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 molecules feel feel you feel one with the molecules of everything even if there's a you know a difference. So I lived in in that uh, unity state for probably eight nine years before then this no self thing took place. Is and, it hard to function in that state, like? drive a car yeah i mean it i think that there is a uh a kind of a, an adjustment period that can take place you know um with every shift of consciousness mm -hmm. there's an adjustment period and um depending on how radical a shift it is it's kind of like taking you know the old record players and taking the needle from one song and putting it all the way over here <laughs> to another <laughs> place. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're somewhere else and you have to kind of adjust to the new, you know, what's happening there with that song. Mm. So, but you know, some people, it, it, it happens, you know, it can happen so many ways that we, 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 we lean and grow into unity kind of sometimes very gently like uh, waves coming to a shore, very gentle waves. And we barely notice, you know, that the shore is, gently, is slowly being taken away by these waves. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it can happen very slowly. Um, but sometimes even there, like with me, it was happening gradually more and more, more and more seamlessness was feeling more, more at ease with, within my being. As and realizing there really is no separation between myself and the outer reality, and then sometimes a big, you know, wave, a rogue wave will come and go and crash, and then it'll take a bunch of land away, and that would be like for me the moment when unity really kicked in. It never did a back and forth, never did a you know mostly in and sometimes out or you know, sometimes in, mostly out, you know, kind of, or, you know, yeah. whatever, wherever you were. You, are on you the weren't spectrum. oscillating anymore. Right. And when that, it was done, it was kind of like, it was like, it didn't ever return. So that shift was um, significant enough to, to have to adapt to. And, you know, you adapt. We, th that's what we do, especially when we have context. Context is very important. And meaning, uh, good teachings, maybe a, a helpful teacher or a sangha or something. Context. Mm -hmm. So, um, so once I adjusted to that, and but, but see, we have to remember and realize that unity is a very pleasant change in consciousness. <laughs> and so it's not like, oh, where did my old state go? It's not like we're <laughs> vying for it again. You know, it's more. Yeah. It's more. You know, as far as experiences go, it's like the best in terms of, you know, it's a beautiful way to live. It's our natural state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I adapted to that for a very long time. And that was wonderful time. And I'm happy to talk about that. But you asked um, about then the no self, going into no self, which 
I didn't term that. I didn't make that term up. Actually, that term came from Bernadette Roberts. Uh You know, that term probably was used thousands of years uh, in different ways. But to like specifically point to something that um, I think we're just kind of catching up evolutionarily, spiritually, to the possibility of what spirituality is meant to point to the whole time and we just kind of lose sight of it that there really is no separate self and there's no i that resides here they say that in almost all traditions i think Mm -hmm. there's no i whether it's spirit or you know whatever but there's no personal i and um that when that really when that foundation when it's really through and through emptied out that is a huge change in consciousness. You know, I think a lot of people worry that if they lost their sense of self, that their life or everything would fall apart and they wouldn't be able to do anything. And it was actually a thought for me too. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see uh, this experience this past week and in other times that, no, life goes on fine, actually much better usually, you know, mm. without self-referencing. Um, and life flows through one. A, a, a strong sense of self is not needed really to get things done. But I'm wondering how you would say things, how, how decisions get made. Mm. Well, I'm glad you had that experience. It's like we get these these tastes in order to help rewire the nervous system and the brain mm-hmm. and to also bring cal- some calmness to the, to, the, to the mind and also to um, point for the body that it functions quite well without mind you know, playing a huge part. That something else, some other kind of intelligence kicks in and it mm-hmm. knows exactly what it's doing. So I think that we dip we get dips, you know, and tastes of this, and um, and eventually it, it makes that shift permanently. So, um, and by then, so if it does that back and forth and gently, the more it's nice. It's mm-hmm. a, that's a nice, graceful uh, way to um, to enter new territory. It's like going to a totally new country or maybe another planet. <laughs> <laughs> another planet, yeah. You know, so, so if you were just propelled to that other planet, maybe it wouldn't, we wouldn't fare so well. But if we get little, little visitations, you know, and, um, and then get back home, and longer visitations, we start to get in sync and realize that everything's fine there. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Decisions are being made anyway by, by life. It's just the mind, it kind of imagines that it's, that it's controlling things, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and part of it. And it's kind of like training wheels. You've got to take the training wheels off eventually, and we ride just fine. That, that which we really are, rides just fine. And um, so... There's no need to, to really have to think and access mind to, for functioning to happen. 
It's just like, you know, when you're driving a car and you go offline for a while and you realize you're driving just fine and you come back and go, whoa, I'm really glad that I'm, I got it. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's kind that's of a good like, analogy. Kind of a weird feeling sometimes. And um, it's like that. It's like that. But then you just live like that and you don't think about it. Because like you said, self-referencing went away. The ability to, or maybe the desire, but the ability actually eventually just goes away where the capacity to look at oneself and self-reference. And um, that is a mind capacity to bend on itself and to look at itself and create subject-object polarity through that mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so it sees itself as an object by bending and going, oh, this is me doing this. This is me thinking. I need me to do this. I need that mechanism. Me doesn't exist, but it's a mechanism of mind. And so (laughs) for some reason with no self, I don't know, I think it's just an evolutionary leap because I don't think that if we had a choice, we would choose to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's kind of like really jumping into the abyss. But luckily, it's not you jumping anymore at that point. With unity, a lot lot gets dissolved. So that ability to self-reflect, which is self-referencing, gets clicked and um, never to return. Mm -hmm. And that takes a big adjustment, you know, in a way, because it's kind of like the body-mind actually is the part of us that needs to adjust. It's like, really, yeah. I can keep, I can, I want to really, I can do these things without accessing the old way. Jonathan, you mentioned earlier that um, some people would be frightened about uh, losing the sense of a separate self. And in my case, it was never something that I was frightened about. It was something that I desired because I came to the spiritual search out of feelings of depression and, and negative uh, self-worth and, and uh, a lot of other emotional problems. And, and it seemed to me that they all revolved around protecting my ego not getting criticized, not getting into trouble. And so it seemed that, wow, wouldn't it be a marvelous solution to this if that ego that I'm protecting was somehow seen through? Mm -hmm. But my problem was that when teachers would talk about um, the separate self and that losing the separate self or that it's not really there, I realized that I equated the separate self with this body. And Mm -hmm. obviously this body is here. So it was hard for me to say, oh, it doesn't exist. And so I realized I may have been thinking about the separate self in the wrong way, Mm -hmm. Uh, not as the physical embodiment or the thing that's different from other people, but the point from which I experience the world. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering what you would say, Susanna, to someone whose experience of themselves is very much tied into their body being separate from other bodies. Well, first of all, um, 
the only way that I would really speak with anyone about this is if they were truly interested and yes. if it was a sincere coming from a sincere place and um, um, not just a, a mental um, desire to know, but you know, like, because um, not to make it wrong to have a mental desire to know only, but uh, the, the answer will come from a different place based on where, they're coming from and their real mm -hmm. um, sincerity. So if it's a real sincere wish to know, you know, what is it that falls away and uh, what remains? I, I would feel into where they're at, you know, and um, maybe speak to the, the animal part, which is our body, you know, Mm -hmm. and speak to it in a way of, of bringing um, some calmness and peacefulness through understanding that the body remains and it's very intelligent and it already is the divine as it is. It's God made manifest. We're God made manifest. And that really what's happening and the invitation is to return back to our true, true nature, which is in harmony with life. And the falling away of the separate self is coming back to harmony so that we feel that peacefulness and the, the oneness, you know, that is our, our birthright. And similar to a tree, I like to bring tree analogies in and nature analogies that it knows what it is and it doesn't question it. It doesn't have, um, comp it's not complicated. And so we return back to a simplicity and uncomplicated way. And it feels, it feels feels right. It, it's what we're meant to, how we're meant to live. Mm -hmm. I love when you talk about the natural state, because that seems so true to me. Um, the, that anger and, and depression and anxiety and stuff seems like all the stuff that's added on to the natural state. That, that's, that's all the stuff that's sort of veiling it. And when we just return to just pure experiencing without an idea of how I'm supposed to be or how the world is supposed to be, that it settles somehow into a natural state, a kind of an original way. Yeah. I think that's what we really long for. And we might call it this. I think that's really what spurs the spiritual journey in the first place is we want to feel better. Mm-hmm we intuitively know that something's wrong off and feels wrong. That's what is anxiety is, is a, you know, a, a side effect of that depression, not all of it, you know, but a good amount, I would mm -hmm. say a good amount of um, feeling out of sync with our, with, with nature around us. It, it creates a lot of anxiety. Can you imagine if, if, if a, 
an animal and nature suddenly felt like it didn't, it wasn't a part of its environment. And it just mm. somehow got the virus that we have. <laughs> God forbid. It would just be shaking, you know, and like, how do I survive? How do I do this? And we, how we do it is by we learn a lot of coping strategies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's sometimes those strategies that are really, uh, are really getting in the way and when we drop them. Yeah. Uh, it seems that the natural state is just there waiting to be noticed and just waiting to embrace us and say, welcome, welcome back. Sweet. I also yeah. love the tree analogy. Um, sorry, Jonathan. I, I love that because when you talked about that, I got this flash all of a sudden of, oh, I couldn't imagine a tree going, am I really being a tree well? Um, are other trees going to judge me? Um, how do I do this? No, it just, it just trees. <laughs> exactly. That's why nature is a wonderful teacher for us. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. We, we brought the subject of strategies. And um, I remember in my previous conversation with you that you don't have very defined tools or strategies, but when you work with people, you kind of tune into them and, and help them to say soften whatever is keeping them from their natural state. Is that an accurate description? Absolutely. I think that tools and strategies and are sometimes valuable in the moment for the, it's like right, the right medicine. It's kind of, kind of like if you have a splinter, you want a needle mm -hmm. right. or tweezers, right? So, um, but it, but if, if it's coming out of the intelligence of the moment, and it's like, this is what is useful right now. Why don't you try this for a while? But then eventually that wants to be let go of and something, another, something else will present itself or, or for a while maybe nothing, you know, resting in the, in the unknown. But strategies and tools are, are um, life's way of helping us along. But if we mm -hmm. get addicted to them or afraid of, letting things go out of fear that it's um that's what's holding us together <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean you know it's kind of like a, a baby bottle i mean you know it's like eventually has to be let go of and yeah so you know for a baby but there's 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 a the right medicine for the right time and eventually all things can be let go of and then the natural intelligence that we are is what is fully on board and guiding and directing and we don't need any more tools and strategies to um, navigate this world that we are a part of. I love that description and, and it's one that I don't think a lot of spiritual seekers actually really get because you know, we get attached to our systems and our strategies and our tools. And mm -hmm. it's very much a in the moment, what is needed now, and that can change many times a day, much less, you know, over, over a 10 mm -hmm. year period, but there's probably an art and maybe a science to being able to see what's needed, or maybe nothing's needed. 
Exactly. And and I I guess sometimes you kind of help people to to do that in your sessions with people. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. It it all arises from from the moment and um and being able to deeply tune in and listen to what's where where, where someone's at and mm-hmm. um not just on the emotional human level or psychological human level but on the spiritual evolutionary scale level like where they're at and what may be needed and what support may be good not just to make them feel safe and comforted but to also kind of help further you know kind of maybe move keep moving in the direction of if there's if that's what they want yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, if that's really the heart's longing only of course but the great undoing this is a great undoing that takes place. Yeah. Mm. I recently uh, talked to somebody who is very, I consider very awakened, and I asked her, um, do you have negative emotions? And her answer was kind of funny to me. She said, I don't really relate to the question. I don't relate to a you. I don't relate to have. I don't relate to negative. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I'm wondering, I'm wondering, and I believed her. Okay. Uh, sure. But I'm wondering how how you relate to emotions, and yeah, what do we do with them? Because sometimes they can take us away for quite a while. Something that I learned during the unity, the nice long unity phase, eight nine years of unity. And that is making friends and peace and bringing everything kind of just returns back to the heart, making Mm -hmm. friends and peace with those, with the things that um, have been considered challenging, difficult, shadow, material, any of it. Because there always will be something that comes up that, that comes out of the the shadow because we can't be aware of everything at once all the time. Yeah. So unity really helps, and, and, and um, you don't have to be in unity to start this. But the, the, I like to call it, and, may, and I don't know if you've heard me say this with any of, if you've heard any of my interviews or something, but I call it the path of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Because that's what um, the heart does, which is the heart, it includes everything and realizes that that's a part of that whatever it is, a difficult emotion or whatever, is, it is a part of itself. It's included. So it's not, it's not relegated to the shadows. It's not pushed away. It's not unwelcomed. So it's included through the heart. Now, the heart can also be intelligent and, and maybe realize, well, even though this is part of God, this confusion, this way of being or the shadow or um, maybe that's not how the best way to, um, to be in the world. It starts to view things with a lot with kindness. So by welcoming it and including it, it's able to help transform and alchemize it, uh, a negative emotion, so-called negative, and realize mm-hmm. it's just a confused piece, maybe a habit, and maybe something different would like to 
start to take place, another way of communicating, another way of being. So I, I, I see it as, a, as a, the transmutative process of the heart, of welcoming things just as they are, and then seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. Beautifully mm. said. I loved yeah. when you talked about uh, the inclusiveness, because uh, I, I also find that true with emotions, th- that when you, they are included and welcome. And in addition to that, what else is included? Um, just the sensations of the body and the sounds and, and uh, everything that's there. Mm-hmm. Emotions tend to take over and say, just pay attention to me and nothing else. But when it's just one of the things that's included in awareness, like it somehow proportionally becomes less overtaking. Yeah, absolutely. Because what you're pointing to, um, to me, seems it's the the vaster realm of the spaciousness that that everything's arising and falling in. Yeah. So, what is it that is including? Well, it's that which is all inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. It's that which has the space to include everything. Mm-hmm. So. If you mm-hmm. let yourself rest more and more in the space that allows, welcomes, then other things can take place because there's so much room. Right. And then mm-hmm. do you begin to identify with that all-inclusive welcoming space and see that's really your true nature? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You realize that that's your true nature and that these things, they're coming and going and they um, they, you know, consciousness won't be hijacked and following this mm. kind of noisy emotional experience or, and, and it will realize that there's so much more going on, that that's just happening within mm-hmm. the space that we are. And we have more, um, ability to be in, have balance with it rather than be hijacked by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything that uh, you would like to convey to our listeners that we haven't touched upon or you feel might be useful to them. Mm. Hmm. Well, I do feel like the, um, the path of the heart is very, very important to include in one's spiritual search. That it can get dry for a lot of people. And, um, and in that, I think people can be kind of hard on themselves hmm. and judge themselves and, and start to compare themselves to what, a, what awakening is supposed to look like. And rather than really start the, the inner work of allowing the heart to, to do the transmutative process. So what I would say is to put as much attention as possible during the day on the heart. Let the heart start to get activated. And it's an intelligence center. It's been proven. So let this intelligence center help dissolve, not just mind, looking at itself and looking at beliefs, you know, that 
can turn out very dry and it can also create a lot of um, hierarchy. What's mm. welcomed, what's not welcomed. A lot of duality can arise by having a spirituality that is primarily mind-oriented because then we have we relegate things in the light and in the shadow, the dark, and this is welcome, this isn't. This is spiritual. This is something that needs to be gotten rid of. And then we're, we can bounce around in that and, and not really progress very far. Mm -hmm. So if you activate the heart by put, placing attention here, it actually starts to get, like a generator starts to get going and purr like a cat, actually. It gets, it's really happy to be paid attention to. So then the driver's seat can fall here. You know, Ramana actually pointed to that. He said, let your mind fall into the heart. Because the heart is a great navigation system. And it is that which rec reconciles duality. Mm -hmm. It is that which, which makes peace with, with, with polarity, with opposites, with paradox so the heart will look at something and it can still have you know discrimination and say no nah, i don't think i'll do that you know no i don't want to hang out with that person just because the heart is activated doesn't mean it's going to be a big you know um very relaxed puppy i have a, a mm -hmm. new puppy so i'm thinking a lot about <laughs> dogs and animals right now <laughs> yeah but it actually is can be very discerning and, and but it can be discerning with love even like love can be a no mm -hmm. but it doesn't close itself off and and put it like no because that is bad and that is it rejects it it's more like no and you know it's more like no and i think i'll go do this and i'll put my attention here but it does, it transmutes really truly. Like if there was an alchemizing stone, you know, like of the, of the ancients, they were talking about what, what is alchemy? It really is the heart in this case, what we're talking about, the great transmuter. I'm very glad I asked that question because that was a wonderful answer. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, it, it, it really was. And, and uh, as you were talking about the heart, I, I said, okay, while I'm listening, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to put my attention and listen from there. And, um, and I invite all of our listeners to, to do that if, if you want to mm -hmm. listen to it again. Just listen from that heart, from that spaciousness that dissolves duality and and experience it and then you're out of the mind you're out of the analytical yeah. self and you're just you're just pure experiencing so Beautiful. thank you for that you're so welcome it really does soften the doer you know yeah yeah <laughs> and you mentioned one of my uh favorite heart opening techniques which is my dogs uh, every every morning, I, including this morning, I do a little darshan where I I uh, kiss their snouts. And I mm. tell them how much I love them, and it's a really wonderful oh. way to start the day. And it often brings tears to my eyes, and they seem to enjoy it as well. Oh, and, uh, I bet. And I, I wrote a book called Conversations with Dog Adventures of a Four Legged Guru because my dog has been really uh, instigator of being able to
get out of my head and into my heart. And, and I think uh, anything mm-hmm. that we can do to do that is a good thing. Jonathan, Absolutely. I just want to add to that since you're talking about dogs. I thought this would be a great opportunity. Uh, one of my very dear friends, Bridget, who's a very wise person, says that if you're having a problem, ask yourself, is this a problem that a dog would notice you're having? In other words, if, if you're in physical pain, a dog would notice. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're in mental pain about whether you're making a right or wrong decision, the dog is not going to be noticing that. So the real problems are just the problems a dog would notice you're having. <laughs> That's good. That's a good indicator. Yeah, many of us are living with uh, very spiritual beings. They just happen to have four legs. Yeah, and yeah. often times when they get if they get neurotic it's because of the two-legged beings <laughs> exactly <laughs> they inherit yeah. two-legged yeah. being neurosis <laughs> yes i've seen that happen but i've yeah. also Absolutely. seen them get over that when a new two-legged yeah. being comes into their lives i've seen I've seen dogs completely heal from past trauma because the new owner is loving and caring I'm guessing that's how we are too, mm. that if we are able to be um, in Sangha with two-legged beings who are more and more relaxing into their natural state, it, it creates a, a nice field for others to, to um, open to. And I think that's what satsang is about. You know, the ideal of satsang is not to fill the head up with concepts but to fill up the heart and our body minds with the transmission that we can relax into this that we can trust it mm. well, i feel that in spending time with you suzanne marie it's a uh, it's a blessing to thank you so much to have that transmission that sangha and reminders and i hope mm-hmm. uh, our listeners also uh are tuning into that as well well i feel um, that with the two of you I feel I feel like it's a it's a it's a space we're sharing, and I'm I I would love to tune into the also the audience, and and we can all share in it together. Mm-hmm. Yes. At the end of our interviews, we often ask people if they can maybe share a, a short guided meditation. Sure. Um, that you think might be useful to folks, and if something comes up. Uh, now would be a good time for that. Sure. Um, well, I was thinking maybe we'll do a, just a, a very simple breathing exercise in and out of the heart that people can maybe include if, um, if it resonates for them in their lives. I think that would I'd be like lovely. To, great. Thanks. I'd like to just preface it by explaining that um, it's a very powerful meditation and um, it's good to practice it just a couple minutes to maybe five minutes a couple times a day until you get more familiar with it because it can actually start moving emotional content and um, whatever is in the way so we want to be kind to ourselves we don't want to be wimpy but we don't want to over push and overstimulate. so somewhere in between so people to, to really trust themselves for when they feel like that's enough or maybe they would like a little more. Eventually you can 
you don't have to do it all the time, but it'll it'll really activate the heart center, this breathing meditation. So I'm gonna close my eyes and I invite you to close your eyes as well. And gently place your attention on the heart area. Right? I would say just like right in the middle of the chest, you know, so that we're including both sides of, of the chest and the spiritual and the very human loving heart. So right in the middle. And imagine that right there in the middle of your chest, you have your nose, you have two nostrils right here. And when you breathe in, imagine that you're breathing into this heart center. And then when you breathe out, you're breathing out from the heart center as if you have your nose right here. And you breathe in. Nice, deep, relaxing, calm breath. And then breathe out. And continue. Breathing in. And breathing out. And it might take some adjustment, you know, of like, oh, how does this work? Just let yourself relax into it and breathe in. And breathe out. And continue. And you may be, may be feeling some things already starting to move, maybe a pleasant feeling. Maybe you can feel some layers of some pain can even arise, but just be very gentle. Breathing in. And breathing out. And I'll just talk a little bit more through it, but you can continue breathing in and breathing out. And in the air, just so you know, I'll speak so that you can include this in your meditation later on, this understanding that the air that's coming through and passing through your chest, it's stimulating little filaments little areas of the heart and of the chest area, inviting things to open and for flow to happen. And depending on how protected the heart may be or how open it may be in the moment, what kind of pain may be lying there, on the human heart, all that will be invited to be released. Breathing in and breathing out. And what's being invited is the uh, spiritual heart to start shining and supporting the human heart to um, let go of whatever 
coping strategies or protective mechanisms have been placed there in a very innocent and understandable way. Breathing in and breathing out. And then I'll um, bring in one more piece to this for if you'd like to include in the future. I wouldn't include it immediately because you want to be practicing this breathing in and breathing out exercise through the heart for a good while, a month or two or whatever. You can see how it feels. Maybe it will point organically when it's time to do part two of the exercise. And part two, and maybe you can just you can just try it just for now, just to see what I'm talking about. But and then you can let it go. So you breathe in through the heart and then breathe out through the back of the heart, imagining that there's a little trapdoor that's opened up. Breathing in and then you breathe out and it goes out the back. And then again, you breathe in through the front and out through the back. It has a very different feeling, doesn't it? So we'll just gently let that go now, just as a, a pointer for you, for the future. Not to limit, but just to allow the full fruition of this first exercise to really have its effect and then part two can be brought in. And then you can play around and see what feels most natural to you. Let's again end with the first part of the exercise, breathing into the front of the heart, letting it stay there. And then breathing out the front of the heart. A few more times. See, then it has room to really fill up and fill up the chambers and see and just get cozy and at home there and then breathe out. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. And you can bring this into your life, you know, and um, it'll really start activating the heart center. Maybe you can feel it now feels really nice and if you encounter anything your audience encounters anything that is a little sticky a little a little um, painful you can do it gently and then let it go and don't over activate let it digest during the day and then maybe during at the end of the day try again for, for a while let's see how let's see if that um, is something that calls to you to try really activates the spiritual heart and helps release the um, whatever may want to be released in the content of the human heart. Beautiful. I, I love its power and simplicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to, it's a tool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good tool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, 
If people want to get hold of you, the best way is through your website, suzannemarie.org. Yeah. And the way you say my name is uh, Susanna, but it is spelled with an E at the end, but it's German. So S-U-S-A-N-N-E, Marie.org is my website. And I have a contact page or connect page and feel free to reach out. It is a beautiful website, by the way, uh, both in content and just, just in the look of it and feel of it. Thank you. I'm glad that you um, have that uh, artistic appreciation of it. <laughs> I had fun. <laughs> yeah. It. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Thanks so much. Lovely. Yeah. Susanna, yeah. thank you so much for, for, for coming and sharing your time and wisdom generously. It's just beautiful. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, really. It's nice to meet you, Brian. It's nice to see you, Jonathan, again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really good to be with you. I really appreciated our time together and the questions and where we went very much. Great. So um, I'll just say, feel free to share this with your friends and family and uh, mm -hmm. use the meditations and all the stuff about that and uh, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.